It's tax day. Boo. But I've got good news. You're in the right place because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. Once again, you're stuck with just me. Uh, David Hansen is on vacation and he will be joining us again next week. In the meantime, it is tax day. Hope everybody had a stress-free time getting their taxes in as much as that is actually possible, or at least getting your tax uh, extension filing in. Uh, Let's get right to the headlines today. First headline of the day comes from CNN Money, and this is about taxes. The headline is, Don't Miss These Tax Day Deals. These are special deals that that retailers and restaurants and, and bars are offering on tax day. I thought some of these were pretty great and pretty clever. Uh, Over at California Tortilla, this is the first one. Uh, If you say the secret password taxes schmaxes to any cashier at California Tortilla, you get uh, free chips and queso. Uh, At Arby's, if you print out a coupon on its website, you get a free, what is a snack size order of curly fries. Um, At New York City Bars, Whiskey Park, Whiskey Blue, Living Room, Stone Rose Lounge, and the LCL Bar and Kitchen... They're serving up special jalapeno margaritas. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but jalapeno margaritas for $8.88, which is an ode to New York's sales tax percentage. And finally, at Boston Market, you can get tax day deal chicken meal, uh, which gives you two meals uh, with rotisserie chicken for $10.40. That's for 1040. There's a whole lot in this CNN Money article. You should check it out if you want to get some of these tax day deals. But... What this got me thinking about was last week I was at the, uh, the Payment Technology Conference, Transact 14. One of the companies that, that particularly wowed me while I was there was eBay's PayPal and their mobile app. So their mobile app allows you to find locations nearby that accept PayPal payment, uh, but also gives you um, a heads up on when those locations have special deals or coupons or that sort of thing and easily lets you load up that coupon onto your PayPal app. You go into the store. You don't have to worry about paper coupons as with the, the Arby's deal. You actually have to print out a coupon and bring it along. So it loads up the coupon easily, lets you do all of that right from your app. Uh, I think a lot of this, again, these deals, these deals are pretty cool on tax day. Uh, and as we get more towards this, uh, this era of mobile payments, this kind of stuff would be potentially easier to find. I mean, all of these restaurants and, and bars and whatnot want to get customers, want to get out to customers that they're having these deals. So if you have these apps, if you have this connectivity, uh, you can better uh, leverage these deals to actually bring customers in. Interesting note, though, there is a California tortilla near the full offices and California Tortilla does take PayPal payment. I pulled it up on my, on my PayPal app this morning. Does not note today's special tax deal. So maybe still some, uh, some coming along there, uh, even with the, the PayPal app that's already out there. Headline number two, we're going over to the Wall Street Journal. Headline is stockbrokers who fail test have checkered records. And this is a, this is a Wall Street Journal analysis. Uh, they got the records for Wall Street brokers on their Series 63 exam. And what they found is that brokers that had failed the Series 63 more than three times had um, more red flags on their broker check record than those that had failed it fewer times or hadn't failed the test at all. Um, 
I think what, to me, one of the most chilling things about the, the Wall Street Journal's report is that of the red flags that increased, basically all red flags increased when brokers failed the Series 63 a number of times. And in the article, they actually talked about some brokers who had failed the test 7, 8, 11, 15 times. Um, one of the most chilling things is that the only red flag that didn't go up was customer complaints, which to me essentially says you've got these brokers with all of these red flags on their record, but customers aren't seeming to notice, which is extremely scary. Um, one of the, here's a, here's a quote from the article. Um, Morgan Stanley, the Wall Street Journal notes, is one of the big brokers that's taking a harder line stance on, uh, on test results, and they're requiring that their, their broker trainees pass the Series 7 on the first try in the Series 63, on their first two tries. But in the article, they note, Morgan Stanley's tough stance doesn't apply to already qualified brokers whom the firm recruits from its rivals. Michael B. Ralby, 54, who works for Morgan Stanley in Boca Raton, Florida, failed his Series 63 exam 11 times before passing in 1993. He has five red flags on his record. When initially contacted by the journal, Mr. Ralby said he passed the exam on the first time. In a later call, his lawyer said the exam was so long ago that it's not even newsworthy today. should point out that the Wall Street Journal goes on to say that of the red flags on Mr. Ralby's uh, record, uh, some of them were, were made in error, and a lot of others seem to have relatively innocuous uh, reasoning behind them. But I thought that that was interesting that when they actually called him up, he said, oh, no, no, I passed it on the first time. And then when they talked to his lawyers, ah, that's ancient history. Don't even worry about that. This is, this is a very scary thing, I think, I, obviously for customers. I think for customers, this is a scary thing. Um, and, and I think increased disclosure, because currently the number of times that a broker failed their exams uh, is not disclosed. So, so maybe more disclosure can help customers find better brokers and brokers that they can potentially trust more. But big picture, this is very big business for the big banks. So if you're an owner of a big bank stock, I think this is something you want to keep track of. Uh, obviously highlighted Morgan Stanley. So Morgan Stanley may be taking a little bit of a, a harder line there. UBS, huge brokerage business. UBS uh, highlighted also in this article. Bank of America and its Merrill Lynch unit not mentioned in this particular Wall Street Journal article. But if you look at Bank of America's uh, recent 10K filing, over a trillion dollars in brokerage assets at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Uh, so this is, this is a huge business line for Bank of America. This is a huge business line for a lot of the other big banks. And so the extent to which uh, they hold the trust of their brokerage customers is, going, is very, very important to keep this vi- business viable and keep this business going and continue to earn uh, the money that they're earning from the, that business. So I think this is something for investors to keep an eye on. Headline number three, we're going over to Bloomberg. Headline is, Yellen says higher capital rules may be needed for big banks. This is uh, something we've, we've heard a lot about uh, post-crisis. So uh, a big driver of the financial crisis was the lack of liquidity during the uh, stress time. So basically that when, uh, when, when the financial markets started quaking, the, 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 the banks and particularly the shadow banks, and, and when we talk about shadow banks, we would probably count Lehman Brothers in that category, uh, Bear Stearns in that category, not really considered true banks, 
um, but, but are definitely or were definitely a big, big part of the financial system at the time. So when the financial market started quaking, they had limited access to liquid cash, liquid resources in, in order uh, to, to give them the ability to meet the calls that they were getting on their debts and on their short-term uh, funding. So uh, the, the target here, what Yellen's talking about is that big uh, complex banks, big international complex banks in particular, may need to keep more capital on hand, more liquid capital in particular on hand, as they, um, as they fund themselves, particularly as they fund themselves with uh, short-term, uh, short, shorter-term uh, type of funding resources that can run into trouble during uh, financial crises, financial stress times. Uh, whether we should be worried about this right now, Yellen's talking about, well, maybe the, maybe the Fed, maybe regulators will, will put more um, restrictions uh, in place as far as how much capital needs to be held. Um, so if, if you're a holder of Citigroup, of J.P. Morgan, of Bank of America, these are the kind of banks that would be hit with this kind of regulation. I'm not sure that you should be worried about it quite yet. Um, I think it's, it's a question of, uh, number one, is this, this going to require more capital right now, or is this more adjusting regulations so that banks don't creep back to what their balance sheets look like prior to the crisis? So if you look at balance sheets today of the big banks versus what they were prior to the crisis, they look very different uh, in terms of leverage, but also in terms of composition, what's actually on those balance sheets. So what this could be saying is that we want to put firm regulations in place so that banks don't kind of drift back to where they were prior to the crisis. We have an email address at the show. That email address is WTMI at fool.com. You can email us your questions. You can email us comments. We love to get those. Uh, we have a question today from Olek. Olek writes, I am a longtime listener and a fool since 2010. Here's the, here's the background for my question. I do understand the basic difference between Burke A and Burke B. That's A shares of Berkshire Hathaway and B shares of Berkshire Hathaway, but also see that over the life of Burke B, it has slightly underperformed the A shares. Let's say you have X amount of dollars in your IRA account where X is enough to buy you a single share of Burke A. You want to buy a piece of Berkshire using X dollars and keep keep it for a long time, say 20 to 30 years. Let's assume you are diversified, so no need to split X into other assets. Anyway, the question is, would you buy one share of Burke A or an equivalent of Burke B and why? So this is, this is an interesting question. I, the difference in performance between Berkshire A and Berkshire B are going to be basically market din- dynamics as opposed to anything else because they do represent the same pool of assets. Um, essentially no difference except in the, the percentage ownership share between, between the two types of shares. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a funny question because it, Olek is saying that you've got assets outside of this, um, so you don't necessarily have to worry about it, so you can take the money, stash it away for a long, long time. Uh, so depending, I, I think it depends a lot on what you have in outside assets. Because in my mind, the additional flexibility that you get from Berkshire B shares, because they're so much smaller... Uh, Warren Buffett has actually highlighted in the past that Berkshire Hathaway doesn't pay a dividend. We know that. But you can kind of create a dividend for yourself with Berkshire B shares, essentially, by selling off some of the shares. So 
if uh, Berkshire stock price goes up uh, X percentage and you want to create a little dividend for yourself, you sell off a little bit of the stock that you own. Uh, so basically what you're talking about here is a trade-off of flexibility. If you put all of your money, uh, if you put that X amount of dollars that Olek has uh, into one share of Berkshire A, you lack flexibility. You're going to own that one share. You can hold it for a long time, uh, but you don't have the ability to sell off a little bit of it, sell off half of it, create a little dividend for yourself, that sort of thing, a, a, an artificial dividend. Um, so market dynamics aside, which are probably driving that difference in, in long-term performance uh, between Berkshire A and Berkshire B, I would probably still go with the Berkshire B shares because uh, I think I'd rather have the flexibility there in my portfolio. Finishing off the day, as we always do in the Twitter sphere, uh, we've got a little bit of an abbreviated show today. Let's go for the first tweet. The first tweet comes from American Banker. That's at A-M-E-R Banker. The tweet reads, Morning scan, not so fast city. Facebook eyes mobile payments. So we got a two for here. Um, this is from American Bankers Morning Scan. So the first part, Citigroup, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. Citigroup uh, reported its first quarter earnings before the market opened yesterday. Basically, what American Banker is saying is that while the consensus seems to be, yay, yay Citigroup, good job, you beat estimates, uh, that it's really not all that great. And it's true. Uh, I, I think I, I basically said this on the show yesterday. It's great that they, that they topped out, uh, that they beat the market's estimates of, of what it was supposed to earn. But it still wasn't, it's not an inspiring earnings report. Um, they didn't, they didn't uh, blow it out of the water from the perspective that it changes, changes our whole view of where Citi's at today. Um, however, like I said yesterday, I still think that what we're seeing in the first quarter is a continuation of the progress that Citi is making in terms of both cleaning up uh, the garbage that it had left over from the financial crisis, as well as rationalizing its global operations and trying to become uh, a more focused organization on the best opportunities uh, globally. The other, now, the other part of this tweet, I think, is a little bit more interesting, and this is Facebook toying around with the idea of getting into the payments business. And this doesn't surprise me. It would actually be more surprising to me if we didn't see Facebook going after this opportunity. Um, we've got eBay, PayPal, obviously a, a market leader in the online payments, mobile payments market. Google uh, getting in there in a big way. Uh, I heard Google, uh, Google's head of payments speak at the Transact conference last week. It sounds like they're doing some really interesting things there. Uh, so now Facebook. Um, I, I think it just it makes a lot of sense given the size of the Facebook network and the, the connectedness of people within Facebook that, uh, that mobile payments is essentially uh, a snap-on. It's, it's a way for Facebook to utilize that network uh, to generate some extra revenue for the company. So they're testing it out. Uh, if I remember correctly, American Becker was saying in Ireland, testing it out in Ireland. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing this rolled out uh, all over the globe because I am a big believer in the online and mobile payments, and I think Facebook could be a company that, that would help uh, push that forward even further. Second tweet, we're going to Bitcoin, at Bitcoin, tweeting, Bitcoin a bit confusing for Feds, documents show. 
So they were looking over uh, so, some documents. This is a, a Canadian, uh, Canadian newspaper, the Toronto Sun, I believe it was, looking over some documents and kind of uh, revealing that uh, behind the scenes regulators weren't really sure what Bitcoin was all about, thought it was maybe a, a fad or something to take advantage of consumers, that sort of thing. Uh, I think part of the bottom line here is that Bitcoin is, is honestly confusing to a lot of people. And I think this is one of the challenges for the believers in Bitcoin and the backers of Bitcoin and the, the venture capitalists who are investing a lot of money in the technologies around Bitcoin is getting some education out there, uh, educating people on what Bitcoin is, what it can do, um, and maybe what Bitcoin isn't as well. Um, so I think it's, it's maybe a little bit surprising, a little bit funny that, that regulators are so, you know, had been so confounded by Bitcoin. I, th- I think the U.S. regulators are coming around a little bit more, trying to get their, their head around it and what it means. But I do think that it's, it's not just something to, to look at and say, hey, everybody's confused by Bitcoin, or a lot of people are confused by Bitcoin, aren't they so stupid? I think the, 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 the better approach to it is say, saying there are a lot of people that aren't really sure what Bitcoin is and isn't, uh, and, and maybe it's time to continue to get education out there on what Bitcoin is and isn't, and, uh, and how it can be used uh, properly and how it can help our financial and payment system. Going on to the final tweet of the day. This is from the Huffington Post. The tweet is, Washington's cherry blossoms look like something out of a dream. And I've got a picture here that the, the Huffington Post tweeted. That picture, first of all, is, uh, is, is very color corrected as far as, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I was actually at the cherry blossoms this past weekend. The water was nowhere near that blue. I've got to say. Uh, the cherry blossoms are very impressive. If you've never been to Washington, D.C., particularly if you live in the area and you haven't seen cherry blossoms, come see the cherry blossoms. It's pretty cool. It's beautiful. However, <laughs> something out of a dream, I don't know, bet- between the clouds and the smell of the water um, and the garbage everywhere, which in most cases was overflowing the garbage cans and, and out onto the street, um, that's not exactly what my dreams look like. Although credit to the Huffington Post for that picture because that does make it look like it's something out of a dream. That's all I've got for today. Uh, I'm Matt Kopenheffer. As always, you can find us on Twitter at TMF Financials. That's our Twitter handle. You can also, if you're watching this on video, uh, you can get us for your commute, for your workout, for whatever, on iTunes. Download the podcast. Um, And that's all for today. I will see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.